The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20 tonight. Uh, Mother's Day is a great opportunity to stop and recognize the incomparable importance of the mission of motherhood and to show our appreciation for those who have paid the price to be a mom. However, we also know that Mother's Day can be a painful reminder for people in a variety of difficult situations. And we want folks walking out that reality today to know that we love you and we are standing with you by faith. We believe the gospel brings hope into every difficult situation. Whether it is unmet desires surrounding motherhood or strained relationships, whatever the wounds, the gospel can be applied as a healing balm to all of them. The gospel takes a bunch of people who had little in common and no reason to truly love each other and and makes us into an eternal family. At least that's the way Jesus saw it. Let me read this to you. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, there are many here today missing their mom. But the gospel gives us mothers outside of the boundaries of bloodlines. Many moms are missing children today, but the gospel gives them opportunities to love and care for children that they never gave birth to. The idea of the gospel giving us eternal family that supersedes biology is not only a comforting thought on Mother's Day, it is also one of the main pillars that support our understanding of church membership here at Love City. And so what we're doing this week is we're continuing to walk through our series. It's called The Disciples' Path. And what we're doing is examining what it really looks like for us to follow Jesus faithfully. And so thus far, we have talked about salvation by grace through faith in Christ as the first step onto that path of following Jesus. We then discussed water baptism as the next step where we publicly declare that we belong to Jesus. Now this week, we're going to look at church membership where we commit to join ourselves with others so we can accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 20. We'll use that to launch into uh, this subject today. Amen. Starting in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Praise God for his word. So we see here that because of the perfect life and the sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ, our King, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are God's household, is the language used here. Now, I want to make sure we pay attention and and understand that it didn't say that we're no longer strange, but that we are no longer strangers. Uh, There's a bunch of us that are still kind of strange, okay? I'll put myself in that bucket. Uh, If you're humble, probably you know that you're weird in some way too, but praise God. Put all our weirdness together and we can do something for Jesus. Here's the thing. These verses in Ephesians are, are not unique, though, in using familial language to describe the people of God, okay? Jesus taught us to pray to God as Father, And we see language of brothers and sisters throughout the New Testament. This is common over and over again. You'll see it anywhere you look. And it's interesting. I read an article recently, and it really made a good point. And I'm not sure if I was careful with this language, but I'm going to be now. If you read the New Testament, you will see many metaphors for the church, okay? So we're a body. uh, We're a temple. We are an army, okay? But if you pay attention, the family language is so common and so pervasive that It should cause us to understand that the church, being a family, is is not a metaphor. It's a reality. This means we shouldn't say that the church is like a family. Because according to God's word, the church is a family. And this is helpful for us to understand as we talk about church membership. Because, unfortunately, when people talk about church membership, many folks don't think of membership in a family, but... They think more like membership in a club. The church is not a country club where we pay dues for the status and the prestige of membership. And the church is not like Costco where we pay dues for access to the goods and the services that the church supplies. We may do better in growing if we had 14-pound bags of croutons. I don't know. Um, But that would deviate from the mission that Jesus gave us. We're not supposed to peddle croutons. Uh, We're supposed to be giving out the gospel. Uh, The church is not this quid pro quo or transactional entity that we can hold at arm's length and and casually associate with when we feel the personal need. You see, the church is a family who's been given a mission from our Father, and we are supposed to live and work side by side to see that mission accomplished. Now, I know there are many people who've had more of a club-like experience with church, And frankly, that breaks my heart, and I'm sorry that that's true. I really am. I know there are many people who hate the idea of church membership for various and sometimes complicated reasons, but this does not change what the Bible teaches. And here at Love City Church, we believe church membership is biblical, and it's an integral part of following Jesus faithfully. Now, right here at this moment, there's going to be people who recoil, and I get that, Many might think or say something like, you know, is this guy saying you have to go to church to be a Christian? Now, (laughs) my first and sassiest response is this. Do you have to use a bungee if you're going to go bungee jumping? Technically, no. But that's not really how the activity was designed, and it's probably not going to go very well, right? Maybe in some freakish, unique situation, it could turn out okay, but that's definitely not the way the thing was set up for. (laughs) Bungee jumping without a cord, you understand what I'm saying? 
You guys act like you don't know what bungee jumping is. You guys have seen this before, right? People put the thing on their legs and jump off a bridge or a cliff or whatever. That's about, that's about the analogy uh, that, that asking that question is equal to. Here's the thing. That mentality that drives the question, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? It's, it's a huge problem, really. Our response to Jesus giving absolutely everything in order to save us and make us a part of God's family shouldn't be what is the bare minimum standard to spend eternity with God. The response to the beautiful good news of the gospel that, that we are saved by God's merciful grace should cause us to ask, how do I follow Jesus faithfully? We shouldn't be looking for bare minimums. We shouldn't be looking to just skate in by the skin of our teeth. Um, it, it, it's pretty apparent that Jesus also had this approach in mind um, since he's quoted at least five times in the gospel saying things like this. Here's one. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that doesn't sound like to understand what God has done in Christ, taking us from the the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, bringing us from spiritual death to spiritual life, that, that what Jesus expected, that, that the response that would be elicited from that would be a, a half-hearted, well, let me see what I can do to stay out of hell for eternity. But that it would conjure an affection and a joy-filled desire to follow after him, whatever that means. That's how Jesus thought it would go, or should go. So in light of that, we're going to push even farther and say that what you do with with the church, it really does, it has nothing to do with salvation, because salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, but if, if you want to faithfully follow Jesus, you won't just go to church services, you will be a part of the church. It's an important distinction there. Now, I'm, I'm going to just say what I just said a different way, because it's so vitally important that I'm clear, and I give you the best shot possible at making sure you're hearing what I'm saying. So let me be real clear before I show you why we believe church membership is biblical. Okay, I want to be real clear. Church membership will not save you. Only Jesus can do that. Okay, But if you are saved, we believe part of following Jesus is committing in a real way to being a member of a local church. That's the premise that we're working off of. Okay, Some of you are still going to disagree with that. I, I understand that. Uh, some of you are going to have strong feelings about that. That's okay. Uh, we love you, and, and I'm, willing, I'm here and willing to talk to anybody that wants to, to work through it. If you want to yell at me after this, come on. I've been yelled at before. It's, it's fun for me. It'll be a good time. I won't yell back, I promise. I'll smile the whole time. I'm good at it. Okay? All right. So, why do I keep saying we think church membership is biblical? Right, Because you've all read the Ten Commandments, and there definitely was not a thou shall join a local church in there. Right, That would be number 11 and problematic if we tried to pull that. So that's not the deal. Uh, and you would actually be technically correct to say that church membership is not itself directly commanded in the New Testament. Uh-oh, we're getting scary here. So what's the deal, right? Is this some kind of man-made religion junk that we're trying to force on you? Is that what's going on here? No, it's really not. The reality is... There's a really sound argument to be made for the fact that church membership is not directly commanded in the New Testament because for the apostles in the early church, it was so obvious that it was assumed. I mean, if you just read the way commands are written throughout the New Testament, it's just assumed that people are going to be collected into groups with 
leadership and accountability and love for one another, and they were going to be banded together for the cause of Christ being made known to the world. They, they just assumed it. Nobody thought we, we had to, you know, it's kind of like a here's your sign type thing, right? If you know Larry the Cable Guy. Um, so the first, let me say this. I don't have time today to show you all the reasons that this is true. There's more, but I'm going to show you a few. Just walk through them with you, okay? So the first and maybe most obvious reason is the way the New Testament is written. The vast majority of the letters written to instruct believers after Jesus made it possible for the church to exist are written to church families, not individuals, okay? And of the few that are written to individuals, most of those are written to pastors of churches, telling them how to function as a shepherd in that church, okay? So that's telling. Now, I know that there are many who would say, well, I'm, I'm part of the universal church, the worldwide body of Christ. You know, I don't have to be committed to a local church. And that sounds great because, you know, most of us aren't naturally thrilled by the idea of committing ourselves to the inconvenience of really loving and serving a bunch of real life people, right? Because people are difficult. Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> people are tough. They got mouths and opinions and emotions, right? It can make this complicated. And so it'd be really nice to think, well, I'm just part of the church universal and I don't have to get into all that mess. But, but what I want us to do is let's really think together. Look, come, let us reason together. Let's think about how we can obey much of what the New Testament says without being a member of a local church. Okay, so the first thing I want to point you to is is leadership and how that plays out. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay? For those of you that are so irritated that this is what we're talking about today, I would just maybe just humbly submit to you the last line there. I'm just going to read it one more time. But God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Love, you mean it. Okay, I just read Bible verses at you. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. Okay, so what do we have here? Here we have elders, okay, which is the same thing as a, a pastor, being told to shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight. That's what it said, right? And, and how? By what? According to the will of God, okay? And we also have younger men being told to be subject to those pastors or elders, to submit to them, okay? So here's my question. How are pastors supposed to shepherd the flock and provide oversight if there's no way to know who's in that flock? What shepherds should the flock listen to? It gets even more crucial if we bring in Hebrews 13, 17. Let me read this to you. you de I definitely shouldn't preach this sermon on Mother's Day. Let me just say it to you. I told another pastor this week what I was preaching on, and he said, oh, that's a great way to grow the church. I almost smacked him. But... Um, I'm kidding. 
this is definitely not your typical, like, you know, <laughs> flowery Mother's Day message. We're going to get in the grind here a little bit. But, um, you know, I love moms, and, and God loves moms, and the Word of God is good for moms. And so, hallelujah, we're just going to do the Word of God today, okay? And uh, keep cruising through this series, and church membership is biblical, and Jesus likes it. So, here we go, okay? Here's, <laughs> you're going to see why I stopped and, and prefaced when I read this verse. Hebrews 13, 17. A lot of people have this on their fridge. It's a, it's a lot of bumper stickers, T-shirts. A lot of people, they really like this one. Obey your leaders and submit to them. <laughs> No, man. That ain't nobody's life verse, is it? Okay. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Okay? So now we see church leaders are going to give an account for the souls of the people God entrusts them to care for. And we see a call to all believers to obey the leaders that God puts in their life. This is just scriptures I read you. This is not Love City Church manual of discipline. This is the Bible, friends. Okay? So here's, okay, how do we obey that? What, what do we do with that? Who are the leaders at Love City accountable for? How do we know who they're accountable for without some idea of who is a member here and who isn't? Right? Am I accountable for the soul of every Christian in Cincinnati? That's a very scary thought. I can't be, right? The leaders here can't be held accountable for everybody that professes Christ you know, within a 20-mile radius. That's, that, that, that can't work. There has to be some formal understanding that, yeah, I'm with you and you're with me. I'm looking out for you, and we're in this thing together. And yes, I do want my soul cared for. You know, because here's the reality. Uh, that verse is, is terrifying, to be quite honest. It's one of the reasons elsewhere in the scriptures we're told that not many should seek to become teachers. Honest, honest to God, if I had my way, I would have stayed to usher the rest of my life. I was happy as an usher. I was good at opening doors. Mm. I'll tell you right now, I could clean up at the end of service with the best of them. I didn't have to worry about talking to Jesus about anybody's soul, but my own and my family's. But I don't get to just do whatever I want to do. And Jesus called me to plant this church and and pastor people and care for their souls. So I'm going to have a a long conversation with Revelation Jesus one day about all of you. So one thing I would like to say is knock it off, please. (laughs) Whatever you're doing, stop and act right, okay? Please. (sighs) Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, so that's one side of it. But here's the other side. This is real, guys. Who, Who do you submit to? as the, the, the flock of God. Anybody that calls himself an elder or a pastor? Because let me, let me help you with something. There's some real wing nuts running around saying, I'm pastor so-and-so. Right? <laughs> some people you don't want to follow. You shouldn't trust. They're charlatans. They're wolves, man. And, and that, that's part of why. So how do we do this? How do we understand these boundaries, these safety lines without church membership? You can't. You, can't, you literally can't do it. You can't do anything with 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, or Hebrews 13, 17. You, can't, you just have to chuck them out if you're not going to do church membership. Okay, so I understand that none of these verses I just read said, thou shalt be a member of a local church. But if you read it with some sense, you'll understand, I, I need to be a member somewhere in order to, I can't obey that or do anything about that if I'm not connected somewhere in a real way. You don't have to call it membership. You can call it whatever you want. 
you know, maybe we should change the verbiage because membership makes people feel weird. Whatever, that's not the point. We need some formal way to say, I'm in. <laughs> I'm here. I'm a part. Okay? <clears throat> Clearly, the apostles are assuming there's going to be local church bodies in the way they write this. They didn't think they needed to explain further what that meant. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. <clears throat> with some way to tell who is a part and who isn't. And this is not to say, it's not to say you can't have a big gathering of people that calls itself a church, okay? You can. But if you don't have shepherds who are really keeping watch over the souls of the people, I mean, was that scripture plain or not? Their leaders in the church are supposed to watch over the souls of the people, okay? That's a, that's a real thing that, that matters. If, so if you don't have... If you don't have shepherds that are doing that, and you don't have people who are really willing to trust and follow those leaders, you don't have a church, okay? You have a group, and those are two different things. These things need to be active. This is a part of the vision of God for how his church functions. I'm not saying it's popular in 2019. I'm not saying this is the way I would have set it up, but I'm not God, so I'm going to sit down and be quiet and just do it the way he said, no matter how many people don't like it. I can't help that, right? Right? Amen, Pastor Vince. Thank you for your support. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the instructions were given for how leaders are to love and serve God's people and how the people are to respond to that servant leadership. They cannot be followed without some type of system to know who's actually a part of each local church. Call a system what you want, but you got to have one. Give some way to know, Okay. Now, next we're going to move on to an even more exciting and popular subject, church discipline, okay? Now, a couple things real quick. This is, this is something you need to know. The church for hundreds of years has considered there to be three marks of a true church, three marks of a true Jesus church. That is, faithful gospel proclamation is one. The gospel, if the gospel is not being proclaimed faithfully, you're not, a, you're not a church that belongs to Jesus. The second is the proper administration of the ordinances, okay? So that's communion and baptism. There's some flexibility on how those things happen, but those things need to exist. Jesus said, my church is going to do these things, okay? So if you're not doing those, you're not a true church, as far as Jesus is concerned. The third is church discipline. And we could get happy about the other two, most of us, but we hear the third one like, hold on a second. What is that? I'm already, I don't even know what it is, and I'm mad about it, right? Okay, give me a second. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> All right. Let me also say this. Church discipline is always a last resort, okay, after every other possible attempt to call someone to repentance has been ignored or rejected by them. Always. Church discipline is not a popular subject, but it is part of what it looks like to care for the souls of people in a real way, okay? So let me give you this from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 12, and Matthew 18, 15 through 20 are two of the more well-known passages on church discipline. Okay, so what's that? Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, there's gross sexual immorality happening within the church. The Corinthians think that what grace means is we're going to clap and celebrate for the fact that we're not being judgmental. Yay! Okay, Paul says, you fools. Here's the deal. Within the church, we do judge. Within the church, we do call sin out. Within the church, we do tell people if they're headed towards destruction because that's what love looks like. We can't judge people outside the church. They're blind, man. We love them and we continue to tell them that Jesus is good so hopefully their heart can be regenerated. They can be opened up to the truth of the gospel and then have a chance for the Holy Spirit to work on them. We don't judge them. But inside the house, you best believe we do. 
And that is loving. Okay? And he says, if, if, if the ones that are participating in this gross sexual immorality, if they are unwilling to repent, then you back, you push them away. You back away from them. That means, basically, you, you, you've heard terminology in other faith traditions of excommunication, whatever, and everybody, you probably all got an opinion about that, and, and, and if, you're, if you're upset about it, your opinion probably isn't based on the Bible. Love you. Here's the thing. Church discipline is not fun. It's not something that any real shepherd wants to do, but sometimes it's, it's the only recourse we have because we can't discipline like the government in the church. We don't hand people tickets. Here's a sin ticket, you know. Pay this. We can't stick your nose in the corner like we do with kids, right? You know, and some, and some of you, just the mere idea that the church has the responsibility or the right to exert discipline, that offends some of you right off the bat. You're like, well, what am, what am I, a child? Well, here's the thing. Uh, Solomon was the wisest dude on the planet, maybe ever, other than Jesus. And he prayed a prayer like this one time. He said, Lord, I'm like a little child. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So if that guy that like Queens came from thousands of miles just to hear him talk was able to pray that way, if, if you're upset at the very idea of the fact that you may need somebody to corral you, that you may be deceived into some kind of foolishness, if that, if that whole idea offends you and you think you're above that, uh, the book of 1 John says that he, he, that he that says he has no sin deceives himself. Okay? <clears throat> Told you we're having fun on Mother's Day. What happened in Matthew 18? Uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus gives this line for how we deal with people that uh, are, are in sin and unrepentant. And he says to treat someone who refuses to repent of sin and to listen to the church, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. So Jesus said it first. It wasn't just Paul. So if you were over there going, well, I don't know what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 5, but Jesus is love. Oh, yes, he is. And that's why he will deal with sin in a way that actually will hopefully catch someone's attention and stop them from destroying their, their, their selves in, in this life and maybe for eternity. Yeah, Jesus is loving, totally loving. Um, that's why he's not an absentee big brother or uh, our God's not an absentee father. He, he deals with us in a way that is, is full of both grace and truth. And you got to have both. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, to remove the one from among you who refuses to repent. So here's, you're like, man, you got yourself into a bunch of hot water and we're talking about church membership. Why did you even go here? Well, here's why I went here. If what church discipline looks like is... We have, we've done everything we can to call someone to repentance. We've cried, with, we've begged, we've done everything we can to try to say to them, stop what you're doing. If you keep doing this, you're going to end up in a place of destruction. Please don't do this. And they just keep saying, well, actually, I'm going to do this. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what Jesus says. I'm going to do me, okay? If that's where they're at, the end of that road, the last thing the church has is to say, okay, then what we can't do out of love for you is pretend like you are following Jesus. We need to make a distinction here and say that you're not. And thus, you're not welcome to come pretend like you're following Jesus. Why? Why would we do that? We would do that because the great hope is somebody who actually is following Jesus is going to have enough, of, uh, enough love for the people of God and the church of God that for them to understand that their, their course of action is about to have them removed from fellowship, that should shake them and hopefully wake them from the stupor that they're in. Again, no pastor that I know wants to get in this mix. I don't, for sure. And I'm not conflict averse. I'm probably whatever the reverse of conflict averse is, Right? I don't mind. <laughs> Let's scrap. You know what I mean? But this is still not fun. 
This is not something I'm looking to get into. It's very painful for everybody involved. But sometimes it's required, okay? You, you might be thinking, but, okay, so here's my point. We can't obey the Bible's command to exercise church discipline without some form of church membership, okay? If, if casting someone out is, is the way that we try to, in a, in a final last-ditch attempt, get their attention, how, how do you do that if you don't know who's in or out to begin with? You can't do it. Jesus commanded that we do church discipline. Paul echoed that command that we do church discipline. Well, I've been to lots of churches. They never talked about that. That doesn't surprise me. I don't like to either. But it's in the Bible. So we hit it, right? We talk about it. You might be thinking that church discipline sounds harsh. You might not be able to reconcile that with your own personal understanding of God as loving I get that, and I really meant what I said. I was kind of joking earlier, but I'm so serious. The elders here at Love City Church, the community group leaders, we are here to talk through this with you. This is biblical. It is right. Jesus said it. Paul said it. And, but if you're struggling with it, don't, we're not going to come at you sideways about that. We want to walk with you in, in being able to understand what it is we're saying and why we're saying it. But the need for church discipline to be in place as a possibility for a church to be faithful to what Jesus has called them to means we have to have a system of knowing if you're in or out, right? You can't exercise church discipline. Everyone just kind of floats in and floats out. There's no commitment, right? And I know that feels good. Lack of commitment is great. <laughs> that's why every time there's an event on Facebook, there's a whole lot of maybes getting clicked, right? Well, that's the most useless button ever. Let's just take that off there. What did that help me plan? How did that, that help me plan for food? No. For the love of God, just say yes or no, man. You know, like, uh, all right. (laughs) The truth is, if someone belongs to Jesus, they should love his church. And if they realize their actions are going to lead them to being relationally separated from the people of God, it should cause them to shake themselves and wake up. The point of church discipline is never to reject people. It is to rescue them from the destruction that inevitably comes from disobeying God. Okay? This this is real too. There are some people here today in this room who've had to walk this path before. I've had to walk it with them. And they would tell you that church discipline saved their life. Okay? And so if you're somebody that's struggling with this, I'm real serious. If, If you're interested, I can point you to those people. They're happy to tell the story. And they'll be, be happy to share their experience that God loved them through somebody saying to them, you are in unrepentant sin, and if you don't stop, you're not going to be welcome among God's people. They would tell you that's part of how God shook them out of stupidity that would have ended in their destruction. Again, wasn't the funnest conversations that I've had, right, as a pastor. But they're needed sometimes. Okay? The third thing I'm going to give you is discipleship, okay? <clears throat> in Matthew 28, Jesus told us, go and make disciples uh, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we're supposed to do that throughout all the world. Uh, and he was really gracious to say at the end, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Because uh, if we're going to go and make disciples of all nations, we're going to really need his help. That's a big call. It's a big mission. But here's the thing. One of the ways, he, he didn't, Jesus didn't say go and make converts, he said go and make disciples. And this is one of the ways where the church has, in my personal opinion, failed miserably uh, in many ways. 
we have gotten kind of happy about just getting someone to raise their hand and, and make a commitment or what it, what, what it, however we can try to count a conversion. Uh, and sometimes those raised hands in a service, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a service, you know, everyone's eyes closed, okay, I see that hand, I see that hand. Everyone in there is wondering, like, is there really a hand? But, you know, anyways... That's besides the point. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are most of the time. Anyways, but here's the problem, man. That raised hand, you, you, there's really no way to tell what caused that person to raise their hand. There's really no way to tell. I mean, did, did they really just have an experience where the God Almighty, by the power of his spirit, took their heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh? Did something really just happen there? Or did, did they just raise their hand to acknowledge, I'm, I'm a mess, Maybe they didn't understand that I'm a mess and I need Jesus was a part of it, right? You can't get that from a, count, from a hand raised. But I, I got, you know, there's even friends of mine, right? Guys that travel around and preach and I'll see on their Instagram, 423 salvations. Well, bro, unless you had 423 conversations, I don't know how you're counting 423 salvations. Because that raised hand is not enough. I, I know this is tipping over some holy cows for some people. Um, but... We just need to say it like it is, okay? And <clears throat> church membership is one of the ways we really can gauge if we're doing the job Jesus asked us to do, which is make disciples, okay? Disciples aren't just willing to raise their hand. Disciples are willing to give up their life to really commit to being a part of helping other people become disciples. See, disciples are disciple makers. That all goes together. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be a willingness to commit to the mission of other people knowing that there's hope in Jesus, that's part of how we know that this thing was real, okay? Baptism is another way. I mean, I'm, at least with baptism, you, you've had a minute to talk to somebody, you've walked them through what we're about to do, and you can get a good sense of if they've really put faith in Christ. Uh, but man, <clears throat> a raised hand in a dark auditorium doesn't tell you a whole lot. But church membership does help us. If somebody's willing to stand up and say, I know it's going to cost me a lot, relationally in all kinds of ways, time, resources, but I'm going to throw my lot in with this group of people because I believe in the mission of Jesus Christ. I believe in the gospel going forward. I believe in people knowing there's hope for every man and every woman because Jesus came and lived a perfect life we couldn't, died a death we should have, and rose from the grave. I'm committed to that, and I'm committed to throwing my lot in with these people to get that message to as many people as possible. At that point, you can be pretty sure you've made a disciple or you're making a disciple. Amen. Friends, I, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are, there are many reasons people dislike the idea of church membership. Um, and if listen, if the word membership is a huge roadblock for you, then just think of it as real commitment and participation with the family of God, on the mission of God, for the glory of God, because that's what it really is. That's really what church membership is. Okay? The reality is we have no way of obeying much of what the New Testament teaches followers of Jesus are supposed to do without formally recognizing who is truly a part of each local expression of the worldwide family of God. There's a whole lot of verses you can't do anything with if you don't have some way of knowing that people are committed to this group of people, to this leadership, and that those leaders are committed to care for those people, look after their soul, and there's that mutual submission. And that's the beauty of what Peter said. P Peter was very clear when I read you uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. He didn't just say to the young men, submit to your leaders, and you young men be humble. He capped the whole thing with everybody I'm talking to. 
leaders, people that are shepherds, people that are part of the flock, everybody clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with humility. He, told, he, when he's, he said, as a, as a shepherd, as a fellow shepherd, here's what I'm saying to you shepherds. Do this because it's the will of God. That's the only reason, not for sordid gain, not because you want to lord it over people or feel like you're cool. Any of those reasons, buddy, you're shot. This should all be done and can only be done with the power of the Holy Spirit working in the people of God, cultivating a humility that allows it to happen. But when it does happen and it is the Spirit of God doing it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it helps us to be salt in a bland world and light in a dark world. It's part of how we do this thing. It's part of how the good news about Jesus goes forth. Our hope is that you won't see church membership like membership in a club, but Instead, you'll see it with the interconnectedness and the interdependence of the different parts of a body, as is taught in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. I didn't have time to get into those, because if I did, whew, we'd have been here a while. But go look at those later. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Paul starts to talk about the, the people of God as, as a body. He starts making fun of us for the kind of tendencies we have to, to be an eye and say, well, I want to be an ear. And, well, then I'm not going to be a part of the body. You know, a lot of times we miss biblical humor, but he's totally throwing shade at all of us for all of our foolishness in 1 Corinthians 12. So check that out later. But we, there, what he, the point here he's talking about is the way a body works, man. The interconnectedness, the interdependence. If, if, if I don't have feet connected to my legs and I don't have a heart pumping blood to all those, man, this whole thing goes bad. And it doesn't work. That's how this is supposed to look. Every person who is going to faithfully follow Jesus is going to come to a place where they will have to decide if they're going to love his body, the church. Every follower of Jesus is going to have to decide if they will commit to and participate in the mission of God that he designed to be accomplished by the family of God. Many people stop at this point of the path. And though it is not for us to judge what that means in terms of their eternity, Jesus did say we would have to pick up our crosses and follow him. And if we belong to him, then joyfully obeying him shows it. It's part of how we know. All of that considered, may we be the church that our perfect father desires. May we remember that Jesus taught that when we love one another, we are loving him. And may we fulfill our divine purpose as the body of Christ for his glory and our good. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these verses. Thank you for Ephesians 2, 1 Peter 5. Thank you, God, for Hebrews 13. Lord, uh, we got into some Verses and some subjects that can cause trepidation, not only for somebody trying to preach, but also those that are listening. God, I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit today to remove any awkwardness or any barriers. Lord, all we've done today is, is looked at your word. We've looked at what you have said your desire is for your church. And God, help us to keep that in mind as we, we think through these things. This is not our church. This is, we are your church. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. You are the chief shepherd. You are the creator of God, and you know much more than we do. And so, God, we humbly submit to what you have said, and we ask you to cultivate in our hearts a, a joy about the truth of your word. Lord, I know that there's varying degrees of resistance for people that have heard this, for people that will hear this. And Lord, I just ask that uh, the grace and mercy of your spirit would just flow 
uh, in their hearts and minds. God, may they not see what's been said today as something that's adversarial or standing against them. Lord, uh, we're for everybody. We, we want everyone to know they are loved by you and that they are invited to be a part of the family of God, that that's a real thing, that we can go from strangers and aliens to being brothers and sisters, that we can go from being afar off to being brought in close to being welcomed to the very throne room of the King of all, our Father God. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful privilege. Thank you that the gospel makes us what we could have never been on our own. Thank you, Lord, that you've brought us together and you've, you've made us a family and it supersedes biology. God, I pray for every single mama today that's struggling uh, because of whatever she's reminded of by this holiday. And God, I just ask that the truth of your gospel would rush in and bring healing to those wounds. For every child today that's, that's wounded because of issues with their mom, God, I just ask that your gospel in all its power would flow straight into those places and bring healing and restoration. I know, Lord, that you're mighty and well able to touch each and every one of us in every place that we're struggling. God, may all of us today be able to celebrate Mother's Day because you have made the people of God, the family of God. That means there's gospel mothers and gospel children brought together, and it's eternal. Thank you that death is not going to stop us from being your family. Thank you, God, that you've made us a family that's going to be connected forever. We're going to rejoice forever together underneath the light of your gospel and the glory of your goodness. Lord, we look forward to the great and glorious day when we're doing that in your presence. But until then, Lord, help us be faithful with the mission you've given us to let as many people as possible know that they can be a part of this family. And it's not going to be that they do enough good things or stop doing bad things, but Lord, they're invited to be a part of this family if they'll simply trust and believe in the goodness of your gospel. Lord, we want that message to go far and wide. Please continue to use us to herald that message. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. We love you and we worship you alone because you're the only one worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.